Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing um, with a local congregation. We minister, as you might expect, in the Partick area of Glasgow. We are a Scottish registered charity, and we say these things in order that you might be aware that we are a, a bona fide Christian congregation. And we're out here this Thursday afternoon on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. And we're very glad that you're able to join with us for our weekly outreach. And therefore we give you a warm welcome. And we have a one really single goal or aim, and that is in order that we might be able, even for a few moments, as you pass by, to draw your attention to something of the Christian gospel. We recognize that the task before us is a great task because the Christian gospel is a most glorious and wonderful uh, truth that we cannot possibly uh, pass on to you in a few moments. Paul talks about this as preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And uh, we would believe that as he said this, he was obviously recognizing that the task before him was so great that he, he couldn't possibly comprehend or undertake all that was required of him as he sought to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he thought it a, a blessing above all, all blessings indeed that he was chosen to be principally the preacher who would bring the Christian gospel to uh, the Gentiles, that is, those who are non-Jews. And this is our aim and this is our goal uh, this afternoon, that even for a few moments as you pass by, we, by the powerful operation of God the Holy Spirit, might be enabled to implant something of the gospel seed into your heart, and that something that you might hear might have, a, have an influence and a power over you, whereby you begin to look into what we find in the Word of God concerning the salvation that's freely offered to us all in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to begin today with a, a verse, a verse that we like to quote. It's a verse that's found in uh, Timothy in First Timothy, and it's what the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy as he was a, a pastor there in a place called Ephesus, which is in today is in modern Turkey. And Timothy was inclined to be somewhat timid, and therefore he needed to be encouraged. And this is what the Apostle Paul sought to do as he was there in Ephesus, putting right one or two things that were wrong in the Ephesus congregations. 
And he reminds Timothy when he says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And before he says this, he says, This is a faithful saying. In other words, this is truth. This is something that you are to give your attention to. This is the truth of the Scriptures. And here we have a, a wonderful message. A wonderful message. And it's a message that is absolutely true and trustworthy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You will agree with me that in the day and generation that we find ourselves living in, we can hardly trust anyone. Last week we heard about one or two people who were being interviewed during the COVID pandemic inquiry. And indeed, it brought some revelations to our, uh, our ears. And we heard things there that were somewhat disturbing, how our elected representatives behaved themselves during the COVID pandemic. Well, today, what has happened, friends? We find that a, a Scottish minister has resigned because of the way that he behaved some time ago. And at one point he was denying his behavior, but it all came to light, it all came out. And therefore, he, along with many other people in the public domain, are people that we really cannot trust. And it is universally accepted today that we really cannot trust our politicians and those who have power and influence over us. We are to be very wary of the things that they say and the promises that they give because they cannot maintain them. And very often they do not keep their promises. And when questioned about certain things, they will be economical with the truth, to say the very least. But here, friends, in the Christian gospel, we have something that we can listen to. This is a faithful saying. This is something that will stand the test of time. This is something that was true 2,000 years ago, and this is something that is true today. Because as you will believe and know, truth does not go out of date. Error is always wrong and always will be wrong. But truth is always right and it will never change. And therefore, when we come and we seek to present uh, the gospel to you this afternoon, let us be convert, convinced and let us be assured that what we're dealing with is truth. We have object truth. 
we have truth from the living God. Did not the Lord Jesus Christ say concerning the Word of God, Thy Word is truth, sanctify them by the truth. And therefore, when we come and we hear the Gospel, or when we hear God's Word read and proclaimed, we are to realize that we are dealing with truth. God Himself is truth. God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And God has revealed to us in His Word what He wants us to know concerning Him, how this world came about, the fall of man, and the great plan of redemption that we find outlined and articulated in the Word of God. And therefore, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. We are to take on board what we read here. We are to embrace what we hear. We are to realize that what we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's complete, full, and final revelation for us. And in the gospel, we have all that we need in order to be reconciled to God, in order to live our life here upon the earth. And when the time will come, when we go into eternity, to go to be with Him in eternity for all the ages of eternity. And therefore, friends, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who is it that came into the world? Who is it? It is the Son of God. In Christian theology, friends, we recognize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, the same in substance, equal in power and in glory. And it pleased God in order to save sinners, and we will dwell upon that in a moment, but it pleased God to save sinners by sending His only begotten Son into this world. And He came into this world by miraculous means. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a supernatural miracle by the Holy Spirit Himself, a miracle that we cannot possibly understand nor comprehend, but it is true. And it's because of this that the Son of God has come down from heaven in order to seek and to save that which was lost. We might well be familiar with one verse in the Bible, what is commonly described as the most popular verse in the Bible. We find it in John's Gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on to say, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Is that not amazing? 
Does that not startle us even on a cold February afternoon here on Glasgow in the city centre on Buchanan Street? Is this not something that truly does amaze us? That God, as He looked upon sinful mankind, He thought it worthy to send forth His Son, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here, friends, do we not see the love of God towards a sinful, rebellious world clearly displayed? Does this not fit in with the verse that we are quoting here? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and He came into the world because of the love of God towards this world. It was God who initiated it. It was all part of God's eternal plan in order that at the appropriate time He might send forth His Son. And there, friends, in the coming of the Son of God, we see the, the depth and we see the magnitude and we see the level of the love of God towards mankind in giving His only begotten Son. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a, an archangel. He didn't send a legion of angels. No, He sent His only begotten Son, the Son of His bosom, in order that He might come and seek to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why He came. Here is the very essence of the Christian gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come down from heaven on a mercy mission, on a, a rescue mission. And who has He come to rescue? Well, friends, the Bible tells us again in that verse that I'm quoting, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now here we are. Here we are getting the purpose. Here we're getting why Jesus came down from heaven. Why did He leave the realms of glory? Why did He leave that perfect place of light and of peace and of happiness and felicity? Why did the eternally begotten Son of God leave heaven's glory? Why did He do it? He did it in order to seek and to save sinners, friends. That's why He came. Now, you might well say to me, well, that's good. It's good indeed that the Son of God should come to seek and to save sinners. But then you're asking me, who are the sinners? Surely you're not thinking that I'm a sinner. Surely you don't think that I'm the one that Jesus has come to save. Surely you don't think that I have to be saved. Surely I'm not a sinner. Well, our verse that we're quoting from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, goes on to say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. That's what the Apostle Paul says about himself. That's how he describes himself. He describes himself as the chief of sinners. Do you know anything about the Apostle Paul? 
Do you know that he was once Saul of Tarsus? Do you know, friends, that he once persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that when Stephen was stoned to death, that Paul was, or Saul was there, and he consented to the stoning of Stephen? And do you know, friends, that once he was on his road to Damascus, and he had authority from the rulers in Jerusalem to gather up the Christians in Damascus and to take them back to Jerusalem in order that they might face imprisonment and maybe even death itself. In other words, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was once upon a time the most hated persecutor of Christians. And what does he say about himself now that he's a Christian? He says, of whom I am the chief. He recognized that he was a sinner. And more than that, he recognized that even now, as a Christian, that he was the chief of sinners. The Bible has much to say about sin and about sinners. The Bible tells us, and you must read this in your Bibles for yourself, in Romans chapter 3, and verse 23, it says, Paul again, writing to the Romans, what does he say? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. That's what he's saying. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be law-keeping and law-abiding citizens, yet in the sight of God, we're all sinners. There are no exceptions. Paul goes on to say, there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous. None that can stand before God pleading their own righteousness. Impossible. Yes, it may not be pleasant for us to hear these things. And indeed, it does not fill us with pride because it tells us exactly what we are in the sight of God. And we are sinners. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. That's what sin deserves. That's what every sin deserves. That's what all people deserve because in the sight of God we have sinned. You see, God has given us a law, a holy and a perfect law, and it is summarized in the Ten Commandments. But because we are sinners by nature, we are therefore sinners by practice. And the rea reality is, friends, we cannot obey God's law, the law that He has given to us as our Creator, as our lawgiver and our judge. He has given us a law, yet we cannot keep that law. We never have. And that's why we have been declared unrighteous in His sight. Now, friends, you might well say, well, 
Is there any hope? Is there any hope for me? Well, yes, we're glad to tell you there is hope. But that hope is not found in yourself. That hope is not found in religion. And indeed, are there not many religions? Even in Glasgow today, in Scotland and the UK and the world, are we not awash with religions? It's the last thing we need is more religion because religion cannot save us. There's only one who can save us. And who is that? That person is Jesus Christ. He is the great subject of the verse that we have been meditating upon. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. There's our great hope. Our hope is to, to be found in another. And this other person is the, is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And this person lived a perfect life. He lived a life that none of us could live. He perfectly obeyed the law of God, never broke it in action or in speech or indeed in thought. He was absolutely pure and undefiled. There's no other person like him. He is absolutely unique. And he is the one that we need to look to because he lived a perfect life and then when the time came, he offered up a perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice was for sin. It was the penalty that is required for those who sin against God's law. But he himself never sinned. No, he paid the price on behalf of others. He is our substitute. And he is the one that we are to look to. He alone can save. He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul goes on to say, as I've said, of whom I am chief. And therefore we have a wonderful encouragement that we find in the Scriptures. Although God's law condemns us, yet the gospel according to God, the gospel that He Himself has provided, has been laid out in order to save us. Because, friends, when you put your faith and your hope and your trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? Our sins are forgiven. Is that not glorious? Is that not wonderful? No one else can your sins be forgiven. Nothing you can do will ever bring about the forgiveness of your sins. Nothing at all. Doesn't matter where you go. None can forgive your sins but God alone in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who come to Christ, what happens to them? Well, here we have something in God's Word to encourage us. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
No condemnation. Is that not a wonderful message, friends? Is that not something that we long to hear? I put it to you today, even as you walk by here, that there will be occasions in, in your day and in your week when you re realize that you're not right with God. Your conscience will condemn you, maybe in a quiet time, maybe when you're just about to go to sleep, you have something in your conscience, something that's troubling you. You don't have a peaceful conscience, and maybe you don't know what, what is bringing this on. Well, friends, I'll tell you what is bringing it on. It is your sin. It is that you are not right with God. But, friends, in the gospel, there is a way to get right with God. What do we mean when we say to get right? Well, in order to stand before him uncondemned. This is what Paul is talking about here, about the Christians. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What a glorious experience. Well, this experience, friends, is freely avail available to all of us if we will but come and acknowledge our guilt, acknowledge our sin, if we will but repent and believe the gospel, we will know the blessings of the gospel. They are not just for the, the Apostle Paul. They are not just for the Apostle Paul or for the early Christians or for the apostles. No, what we're proclaiming here, friends, is for all, all who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will avail themselves of that free offer of salvation? Did not the Lord himself say, when he was upon the earth, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? I want to ask you this afternoon, as you pass by, do you have rest? What kind of rest are we talking about? Do you have rest? Do you have peace in your soul? Are you content? Are you happy to meet your Creator as you will do one day? No matter how much you might put it to the back of your mind, that day will come when you will meet your Creator. Are you happy for that day? Are you ready for that day? That day is coming. It's now neither than it ever was. All of us are a week nearer eternity than, where, than we were last Thursday. And every day that passes, we become ones who become nearer and nearer to eternity, nearer and nearer to that appointment with Almighty God. I've got a Bible, sir. Yes. Would you like one? Aye. Well, see. Oh, well, I've got something here that I can give you. Something here that might help you, sir. There's a, a New Testament for you, sir. Thank you. Okay. I hope you read it now. Oh, well. Let's hope they read it too. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. A local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, you'll come to the police station. And if you go 
opposite the police station, up the hill there, you will come to Thornwood Primary School, and then you'll meet our building there on the crossroads to Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m., and we also meet in the early evening at 6 p.m. And also we have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And we would extend a warm welcome to you. Come along to any of these services. They're all open to the public. We have nothing to be afraid of and nothing that we hide. It's all there for the public consumption. And friends, we simply want to draw your attention to the Christian gospel as we find it in the Word of God. Well, here we are on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre here on a cold February afternoon. I don't know about you, but we could do with a bit more of global warming. A few degrees higher here would be much appreciated. But you know, that one day, friends, this world as we know it will come to an end. Yes, the Bible talks about the end of the world. It doesn't tell us every detail, but it tells us sufficient for us to know that this world is not eternal. This world had a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And one day, the same God will wind up this world as we know it. And there'll be a number of things that will happen at that particular time. A number of things that are related. And what we're talking here about is the study of of the last things, and it's called eschatology. Now, I don't want to confuse anyone, but At the end of this world, there will be a number of things that will happen. And one of these things is that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return. And when He returns, there will be a resurrection. And everyone that has ever lived and who has died will come out of their graves, and their bodies shall be reconstituted, and they shall stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on that great day of judgment. So Christ will come, the resurrection will happen, there shall be a day of judgment, and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth, wherein, we're told, the Bible tells us, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And all those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are with Him, who are followers of Him, who believe upon Him, and who have received Him as Lord and Savior, will be in that new heaven and that new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And this present world that we know of, it shall be destroyed. Not completely, but it shall be utterly refurbished, and it shall be destroyed by fire. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, read this in your own Bibles for yourselves so that you'll know that I'm not misleading you. 
Here we find it. Peter's talking about the end times. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Well, we could say much about that, friends, but surely it tells us that there in the Bible, Peter writing maybe 2,000 years ago, is telling us that this world that we know will one day be burnt up. And from that burnt up will come forth a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now I realize that many passing by here will be scorning and scoffing at these things. Well, don't you know, friends, that the, the old world was destroyed by a flood? Do you not know that? Do you not know in the days of Noah that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually? And because of that, God brought a great worldwide flood upon the earth that destroyed all mankind apart from Noah and his family, eight and all. Do you not know that? That God, away back there thousands of years ago, destroyed the earth that he had made by a flood? Well, if you're laughing that this present world will be destroyed by fire, just be reminded that the people in Noah's day were laughing at him as he made an ark because he was telling the people, and we do believe that he told them for around 120 years that God was going to send a flood. And they laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? They laughed at him because they had never seen rain. And yet here was one, a preacher of righteousness, standing up to his day and generation, and he was telling them because of their sin that God was going to send a, fl send a flood and they had never seen a drop of rain. But what happened, friends, when the flood came? When the waters poured down from the, the sky and the waters that, can, that were contained in the earth were let loose, and for 40 days and for 40 nights that flood came upon the earth and destroyed all life apart from Noah and his family. You can be sure that these scoffers didn't laugh then. And let us not be foolish. And let us not laugh at God's Word today. God's Word has said that this world as we know it is destined to be destroyed by fire. We realize that today many are taken up with global warming, or I should be more accurate and say man-made climate change. 
and some people are getting all excited and a bit hot under the collar regarding this matter. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, a promise that God gave to Noah. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And I put it to you, God has kept His Word throughout the running centuries, and therefore we can be sure that God will continue to keep His Word. Don't be concerned about man-made climate change. Rather, you need to be concerned about that fire that God is going to bring upon this world and to destroy it. How can we escape? How can we be saved? What must we do? Friends, the answer is abundantly clear. We are to put our faith and our hope and our trust upon the Son of God, that one who came down from heaven in order to take people to heaven, that one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And we could well interpret that to say, no one will go to heaven. No one will be safe in eternity. No one will be right with God unless they go to Jesus Christ. What does it mean to go to Jesus Christ? It means to repent. It means to return unto Him. It means to forsake your sin. It means to embrace Him as He has freely offered in the gospel. It means to believe upon Him, to believe that He is the only begotten Son of God, that one who alone has come down from heaven with the full authority of the triune God to be the Savior of mankind. And friends, you are urged to seek Him. Yes, to seek Him even today. Does the Bible not say, today is the day of salvation? Does the Bible not encourage us to seek Him while He may be found? Is that not what we find in God's Word? Doesn't the Apostle Paul tell the Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, friends, now while there's opportunity, now while you have your faculties, now when you're called upon to repent and believe the gospel, now when you're called upon to seek Him while He may be found, never delay the matter of your eternal well-being for a moment longer. Now is the time to come and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am the chief. Now is the accepted time. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. One of the reasons why you must come to him now is we're all mortal. Yes, we don't like to think about it, but it's true. We're all mortal. And what am I supposed to do? Start crying? I don't think so. We're all mortal. Is it not true that life can be very brief? Our departure out of this life can be very quick. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know there are people who hear gospel preachers and deep down they listen to what the preacher has to say and they consider the reality of the things that he brings to their attention and he says to himself or she says to himself well you know that preacher is talking about things that really matter he is talking about my eternal destination and where will I spend eternity and you know I must give some consideration to what he's saying because he is speaking the truth he is speaking to me and therefore surely I need to give it some consideration but they say, I'll do it on another occasion when it's more convenient for me. Listen, what does the Bible say? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What's more, you don't even know what's going to happen tonight. You might well be in eternity tonight. Friends, it's said in the Word of God of a rich man, a rich farmer. You'll find the story in Luke's Gospel. A rich farmer, he had done well. He had a good harvest, and his barns were full. And what happened? He had another good harvest, and his barns couldn't hold all his produce. All the fruit, he couldn't hold it. What does he decide to do? He decides, I'm going to tear down my existing barns and I'm going to build bigger and there I'm going to put all my goods there and then I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to be merry and I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy all that I have. I don't need to work. I'm going to retire. Everything's looking great. What does the Bible say about this man? God says, thou fool. Thou fool. Why? Because this night thy soul will be required of thee. He was going to die that night. He was going to leave everything behind. Everything he had worked for. He was going to leave it behind. And where was he going to go? He was going to go to a lost eternity. He was going to spend eternity in that place that the Bible calls hell. And friends, the lesson that Jesus derived from that was that we are to be rich towards God. Many people are struggling and many people want to become rich in this world and they want to fill their homes 
with all kinds of possessions and they want to have flats and houses and holiday homes and they want to have all that this world can give them and they strive for it. But supposing you get everything this world can give you, there'll come a day when you have to leave everything behind. Everything. You'll take nothing with you. You'll leave it all behind. And where will you go? You know there are some people here this afternoon and they're handing out gospel tracts. And one of the tracts they're handing out is, Where are you going? That's the title of it. It's a question. Where are you going? Where are you going, sir? Where are you going, madam? Where are you going when your life is over? Heaven, my man. Heaven. How do you know, sir? Because I'm a born again Christian. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it, sir. But where are you going? The Bible tells us. Do you take donations for your church? The treasurer is over there. You see him over there? He, that's the treasurer. That's the treasurer. John. John Gillis. <coughs> Where are you going? When life's over. When you've had your fun. When you've made your money. When you've gathered all your possessions. When you've had your fill of this world. Where are you going? The Bible tells us we will go to one or of two places. We'll go to heaven if we belong to Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't speak much of heaven. Possibly if it did describe it, we couldn't comprehend it. But it is a glorious place. It is a place of righteousness. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of light. It's a place of blessing and felicity. Everything that we could possibly need and want is there in heaven. It is to be with Jesus Christ. It is to be with the triune God. It is to be with the angels. It is to be with all the people of Christ. But there's another place. It's a place called hell. It's a place of torment. It's a place of endless torment, a place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. And if we don't go to heaven, we will go to that place called hell. No one wants to go there. How then can we escape? The only way, friends, is to have Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the only way. That's why we come out. That's why we tell you there is another way. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what the Apostle Paul says, to the Corinthians, we're quoting it from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, 
whether it be good or bad. And he goes on to say, here's his motivation for coming out. Here's his motivation for going around the whole of the known world of that day, proclaiming the gospel, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, knowing there's a terrible day when we will stand before Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will give an account of our lives. And friends, on that day, there's one thing you'll want. You'll want to have a Savior. But friends, you cannot call upon Him on that day. You have to call upon Him now because the day of judgment will be too late. Today is the day of grace. Today is the time when you are to seek Christ now. Now, how then, how can then, can, can Christ save us? Well, what happens says, friends, He has died in our room and in our place. He has done what we couldn't do. He has kept the law of God. He has been punished in our place. He has been condemned. God poured out His wrath upon the Son of God on Calvary's tree in order that those who put their faith and trust upon Him will escape condemnation. There's a great transaction that has happened. Christ has died in our room and in our place. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries, but may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing uh, a local congregation. And we're delighted to be able to come out on this cold February afternoon to draw your attention once again to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. These words were written by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he is not talking about himself because he himself would be the first to admit and acknowledge that he was a sinner. And uh, there would be no point in looking to Isaiah because Isaiah, like us all, would need a Savior himself. But when he says, look unto me, he is talking about that one who was to come. And he prophesied about 600 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto me, look unto Christ, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And this is what we seek to do this afternoon with you, friends, to draw your attention to one or two basic gospel facts. And sadly, because of the day and generation that we find ourselves living in, 
many people are actually ignorant of the Christian gospel. And this is one reason why we come out, because without putting too fine a point on it, many people don't go to the house of God. Many people are not found under the means of grace. Many people never attend a Christian place of worship, and therefore they are ignorant of the ABCs of Christianity. Now, what, friends, would we describe as the ABCs of Christianity? Well, the first one is that we are ruined. We are ruined as individuals. We are ruined as a people. We are ruined as a race. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God is the one who made all things. And when he looked upon his creation, he said, Behold, it is good, very good. And that, at that time, included mankind. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Now, God created our first father, Adam, from the dust. And from Adam, he created the first woman who became his wife, Eve. And when they were created, they were absolutely perfect. They were just like their Creator. They were in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. They were pure. They were undefiled. They had a wonderful relationship with their Creator, God. But something happened. Now, many people laugh at this, but this is what happened. They were tempted, or at least Eve was tempted by the, the serpent. And she listened to the serpent. She ate the forbidden fruit, something that she was commanded not to. She was deceived. She ate the fruit, and she gave some to her husband. He disobeyed. And that might not seem significant to you, but it was, and it is significant, because there, almost at the beginning, mankind rebelled against the Creator. Indeed, mankind sided with God's greatest enemy, the devil himself. And therefore, our first parents committed high treason. That's what they did because God, in some sense, had laid everything on for them. Everything was perfect. There, there they were in, the gar in, the, in paradise, in, in that beautiful garden that God had prepared for them. And all that they could possibly want was there. It was all provided for them. But they listened to the evil one. And ever since that time, their relationship with their Creator God was severed. It was broken. They died spiritually. They did not have that relationship that they once had with their Creator God. That's what we call the ruin of mankind. Because Adam represented the whole of humanity. And when he fell, we fell. We sinned in Him. And His sin was passed on to us. His sinful nature became our sinful nature. His guilt became our guilt. 
And that's why we have all the problems that we have in this world today. It can all be traced to the downfall and the ruin of mankind. That's why we have wars. That's why we have fighting. That's why we have our prisons overflowing with criminals. That's why we have divorce and family breakups. That's why we have drunkenness. That's why we have drug abuse. That's why we have violence in our streets. That's why we have all of these things. That's why we have sickness and suffering and tears and crimes. That's why we have death itself. There would be no death if there was no sin. And all our problems, without exception, can ultimately be traced back to this fact that mankind has sinned and we are estranged and separated from God. That's our ruin. And that's a basic fundamental doctrine of Christianity. We are ruined. We cannot save ourselves. It's impossible. But there is a way to be right with God. What is that way? Well, the way has been provided for us by our Savior, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Son of God, who became the Son of Man. The Son of God left heaven, left its glory, left its peace, left its blessedness, and He came down to the sin-cursed world. He took upon Himself our form and our nature. He became just like us, sin only accepted. And He did this, friends, in order that He might live a perfect life. And at the time appointed, He might go to the cross, where He might suffer and die in our room and in our place, where God would punish Him instead of us. That's what happened there on Calvary's tree. Yes, we know it was wicked men who crucified Him. Yes, we know He was handed over to the Romans, and they crucified Him, but it was all part of God's ultimate perfect plan of redemption in order that we might have a Savior who would save us from our sins. And God was punishing Him in our place. He was our substitute as He offered up Himself that once-for-all perfect sacrifice. Now, how can this possibly affect us? Well, friends, the good news of the gospel is if we put our faith and our hope and our trust upon Him, God accepts Christ's righteousness and Christ takes upon Himself our sins. And here is another fundamental doctrines of Christianity. We are righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you believe upon Jesus, your sins are forgiven. When you believe upon Jesus, His righteousness is given to the believer. He is declared righteous in the sight of God. 
And this is a wonderful thing. This is what's called in the Bible as being, as being saved. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, as we began earlier, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And we are to look to the Lord Jesus. We are to repent and to believe the gospel. We are to call upon him. And we are assured that we will be heard and that he will receive us. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. So we're ruined by the fall. We have righteousness by Christ. But we are also regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is something that Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious teacher of the day. In fact, he was a notable religious teacher of the day. And he began to want to have a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, you'll find it in John chapter 3, ye must be born again. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so it is with every one of us. If we're ever going to get to heaven, if we're ever going to be in glory, we must know the new birth. We must have our sins forgiven and we must know the new birth. And this can only happen to us by God the Holy Spirit. It is a wonderful supernatural act by the Holy Spirit alone. And that's what a real Christian is. He is one who has been born again by the Spirit of the living God. These are the three basic essentials of Christianity. Ruined by the fall, righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we're born again? You'll know when you're born again because you'll believe upon Jesus Christ. You will believe the moment that you are born again, you will believe upon him. That's why we come out and we tell the story of the gospel and we call people to repent because we do believe that God the Holy Spirit even works in the open air, even works amongst those who are passing by, who hear just a, way, a small piece of the gospel message, yet he's able to work on that. And that's why we tell people about Christ, the one who came, suffered and died, but who rose again. Yes, friends, when we tell you to believe upon Jesus, we're telling you to put your faith and your hope and your trust upon one who's alive forevermore. Yes, yes, he died. Yes, he was put into a tomb. But on the third day he rose. Death could no longer hold him. He was not going to be fettered in a grave. In fact, it was a borrowed grave because he was not going to be there for any great length of time. And when the time came for him to come out, out he came, and he's alive forevermore. That's the Savior you must have. That's the Savior that we commend to you today. That's the one that we proclaim, who's alive forevermore. And this is the one who can save, save to the uttermost. What does the Bible say? That you're to look unto him 
that one who is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What a glorious, all-willing, complete Savior that we proclaim to you. This is the Savior of the Bible. This is the Savior that Isaiah would call us to look to, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Everyone, it doesn't matter where we've come from, it doesn't matter the color of our skin or the language that we speak, we are to look unto the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we're all sinners, all of us, without exception. And He is the only Savior, the one whom God has appointed to be the Savior of God's elect. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There's no other Savior, there's no other gospel, there's no other way to be reconciled to God. You must call upon Him now, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to those wise men of this world in Athens, and he's reminding them that there's a day of judgment, the day has been set, the judge has been appointed, and one day you will give account, and one day you will be called forth to stand before King Jesus and give him account. Well, have we any encouragement then to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, of course we do. Of course we do. What does it say in the Bible? As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? Here the Lord is speaking to his people, and he's telling them to turn from their wicked ways. <coughs> and he says exactly the same to us here on Buchanan Street in Glasgow. On a cold February afternoon, he tells us to turn from our sins. What does that mean? It means to repent. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The Gospel tells us to repent. Now repentance is never easy. And indeed, repentance is a gift that God gives to us. But it is true to say, friends, that when we're younger, it is an easier thing for us. Why? Because sin has not had that hold over us that it does when we become older and older and more confirmed in our ways. And that's why Solomon says... Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. 
while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He's telling the young, while they're still forming their habits, he's telling them, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Come and embrace Christ now. Give your life to Him now. Give the flower of your days to Him now. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. <coughs> and we have encouragement to go to the great God of heaven because He will receive us. The Lord Jesus Himself said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what he says. Come, come unto me, all ye that labor, all those who are heavy with their sin, whose conscience are troubled, Come now and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. He that heareth my word, the Bible says, and believeth in him that sent me, hath everlasting life. Would you not like to have everlasting life? Would you not like to know that you have everlasting life? Well, friends, it's found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I say unto you, He that heedeth my word, and believeth in him that sent me, hath everlasting life. A wonderful privilege, a blessing, that you can know here and now, when you truly come to the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, you're reconciled to God, you have the gift of eternal life. <coughs> and you're adopted into the family of the living God. Christ, He's the center of it all. He, he was delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you as we draw our time to a close this afternoon, do you have peace with God? Can you honestly say that you're ready to meet your Maker? Do you have peace with God? The only way to have peace is to have Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He alone is that way. May God be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.